This is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast. The Modern Architect features one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. Our show informs and illuminates the transformation that architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. And now, introducing the host of The Modern Architect, Tom Dioro. Our great guest today is Krista Kapar, founder and CEO of San, C, and CEO of San Francisco's Kapar, the first design industry consultancy firm, integrated studio and marketing services. They're headquartered, of course, in the San Francisco Design Center. Krista has built a multifaceted consultancy that coaches, counsels, and empowers elite designers, architects, builders, artisans, and showrooms since uh, 2007. They've offered innovative solutions for business operations, project management, and marketing communication to the design community. For more information, feel free to visit kuparconsulting.com. Again, that's C-O-U-P-A-R consulting.com. Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com. Hi, Chris. That's, uh, re- I'm really, uh, as I said, really happy and excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Krista, we like to start our, our show off with the, uh, if, a quote, if you have a quote, a prayer, a mantra that really means and matters much to you personally, uh, professionally, or both. Yes, I'm a big quote person. I love quotes. During uh, the distance learning, I would put quotes on the walls for my children to try to create structure for the day. Um, but the ones I worked on with my team when I first started the company, and it's really a family quote too, which is good work speaks for itself. The other one that I like that's repeated through my house frequently is teamwork makes the dream work and that you get out of life what you put into it. And then I did read Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, which was so fantastic. And he had a great prayer in there. And he said, God, when I cross the truth, give me awareness to receive it, consciousness to recognize it, presence to personalize it, patience to preserve it, and the courage to live it. Love this. What makes you want to be so complete that way, Krista, really, as a person? I think it's always striving to be your next best self. And I think that, you know, Matthew McConaughey really strives to be his next self, but he has a spontaneity and irreverence around his structure. And I think that that's one of my core values that I find fascinating, especially when I apply it to the business of design, is that you have these creatives who are spontaneous but they also need that ability to create structure to make their businesses profitable. And that structure, at what point, if you can recall, if there was a poignant moment, <laughs> that, did you realize, or you even actualized, that where you are now is what you really want to do or choose to do? I think it came from a young age. So my um, 
dad and my grandfather were scientists. So my grandfather um, worked in uh, the Nevada test site, or they call it Area 51, and he had a degree, a PhD in nuclear science. So he was very practical. And then on my mother's side, they were very bohemian artists. So I got a mix of both worlds and what makes them interesting and fun. So as I went through my childhood, it was really the observation of people creating art and then the observation of people creating structure and how there is a dynamic tension that needs to be there for it to be amplified. I'm, I'm going to sound biased, but it's, it's very true. Is I believe what it is that you do with your consultancy and your, uh, your organization, it, there's not really a, a, an architecture design or, or building firm that couldn't benefit from your service. And I'm saying that not as a, as a plug, but just I'm being sincere with it. What's your thought on that? When you see a, a, a business organization in the uh, architecture, engineering, and, and uh, building facet that you know you can help, I don't know, you know what's your thought on that when you see what they could really be. I think, you know, it's providing the the backbone and the structure for them to be who they are. And that's the same thing when you're building a house. You're really amplifying the people that live there, how they interact with it. What if they were going to be their best selves, how would they play out in a design of a home? And it's same with the design of a business. And what I've noticed over my years is that the principal designers, the people that are running the company have three to four character traits. So, and they're, and they're, they, they differ. And so they have, they all have business acumen. You have to be incredibly intelligent to run your own design architecture or construction firm. They have charisma and they have aesthetic. And they also have an understanding of how to manage human relationships, which is crucial. So it's from they can manage the C-suite all the way down to the artisans, and they really know how to work with different people in different capacities to get the best end result. And when I am working with somebody, I look at what their lead strength is. Is it business acumen? Is it charisma? Or is it aesthetic? And then we build the back end into where the two primary deficits are. And that's kind of how I've structured and run my company over the years. And it's been incredibly interesting. And I feel honored to get to know people on such an intimate level. That manage human relationships. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've, you're a moniker that you've uh, come up with, or is that something you've heard before? Cause I like that. How do you manage human relationships? I, well, I think it's evolved over the years, you know, Harvard business review, talks about it. Um, you have different groups. I'm a part of a CEO group, Vistage, that talks about it. And I think that it's really that curiosity component and just a core interest in people. So I noticed that people who own their own companies are just very interested in other people and how to build teams. And so it's it's been a little bit of a, a hybrid. I've always been interested in people. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas during the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, and that would be an interesting subset of people to study. So 
it's really meeting people where they're at and understanding what their needs are and seeing them. Because I think fundamentally, you know, aside from making money in business, people want to be seen for who they are. And when you're building interiors, they want the best aspects of themselves to be pulled out. And it's incredibly intimate to be in somebody's home. And it's incredibly intimate to be in somebody's business. And so when I started my company, it wasn't for making money. It really was the curiosity and the play around how do you amplify and grow somebody that's talented? And I think for architects, artists, and contractors, it comes very easy for them. And so sometimes they undervalue themselves. So creating a sounding board and a structure to where they can go out and do their best work and be compensated in a way that's meaningful. Is there a formal process to capture that essence of your clients? There is. It's an art and it's a science. Going back to that idea of art and science. So we have a process that um, many of your uh, speakers have talked about or interviewers talked about in the past, which is the e-myth. So the e-myth was one of the ways that we started this process. So how could you, and we, our biggest client worked for Procter and Gamble. And so there's a process model to it. So could you take people, my curiosity and hypothesis was, could you take people directly out of school or in like a life transition And could you train them to do production work? So fundamentally, we're a production company. We're the the behind-the-scenes white glove production company. And if we've applied that process, could you replicate it from somebody who just came out of school and grow them through the company? And so that's where we started. The other book I also reference and use in my business daily is Traction. And that provides, again, a framework and a structure to take the art and put it into a blueprint that could be replicated. So where I kind of sit in this world is always fine tuning processes so that the designers can go and do their best creative work. Fascinating. It's also the modern architect, KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Krista Kupar, founder and CEO of San Francisco's Kupar, the first design industry consultancy firm integrating studio and marketing services. For more information, feel free to visit their website at kuparconsulting.com. That's C-O-U-P-A-R consulting.com. Krista, if you're at liberty to share with us some of the uh, most recent projects, we'd love to love to hear it. Yes. So we, um, through our company, we probably um, push through around 65 projects for y- per year. Um, which is significant. Uh, We have a company of 25 employees and um, our largest clients right now, we work with Kendall Wilkinson, who is my um, mentor. Uh, I started with her when I was 26 and now we work at a consultancy level. So I work with her team to manage any like overflow work. So we work in two capacities. We can set up a white glove team and or we can come in and just help during burst periods. So Kendall and I work during the burst periods. And then my other largest client, which has been a blast, has been Anne Lowengart Interiors. And so we have grown 
over the seven years working together into projects that would last six months. And now they're lasting three years. And we've wow. been able to work with some of the largest architects and builders um, in the country. So we work with Dow Built. We work with uh, Krakow Jennings. We work with field architecture. And it's just been a lot of the projects are NDA. Um, so we can't talk about them, but it's just been such a pleasure to work with founders of the tech companies that we all know well, and just really moving in those inner circles. And it's great for the team to have access to that type of project work. What's it like for you to experience working with such world-class people? I know you've shared a bit of it, but if you can really kind of describe, you know, if you could step away just for a moment, you know, the professional uh, experience and talk about the personal feeling of you working with these world-class organizations and people. I think the one thing that I like about moving in that circle is they all have a certain element of flow. So they are in the right place at the right time in synchronicity and life just happens for them. And I think that you can have a life based on limiting beliefs or a life based on infinite possibility. And when I work with these people over and over and over again, they live in a world of infinite possibility. So we have one client that we're working with um, who's an artist in San Rafael, and she has this beautiful house by an esteemed architect, Henrik Bull. And before she was an artist, she wrote cookbooks. And she's friends with some of the prominent artists across California and has been collecting. She has, you know, friends whose pieces have been in the De Young. And just the way that life sort of unfolds for them is they're open to infinite possibilities. So she was talking to me about um, meeting the architect that built built her house and then passed. And she said, yeah, I'm out. I was out in the backyard and there was some man and he was like snooping around my house. And so I came out and I said, can I help you? And he's like, yes, I'm the architect that built your house. And he said, and your house has been the only building that I've built on the residential side that hasn't been changed. And so he's like, can I come in? Can I take a peek? And so they formed this great relationship and he ended up consulting on the house. And, you know, she did make some updates and changes because it was built in the 1960s, but she asked his permission and then they became great friends. So with people who are open to infinite possibilities, I do think that you get that back from your God or the universe or whatever you think. Um, and that's why I like being with these people. It's not so much for, you know, the money. I mean, that's, that's a byproduct, but it's just for the curiosity behind it. Like what makes them tick? What makes them different? What makes them fun? What's your take, Krista, on this? Discovery and creativity. Which one is, is there one that's more important, one that has more use, is more effective? Uh, well, if you, would you... How would you categorize both of those, discovery and creativity? Is there one that's used more or like discovery or creativity? What, 
what's your thought on both of those words or those terms? Well, I think that creativity and aesthetic is um, very subjective. I think that you have to have a certain level of creativity and aesthetic to be good at what you do, but I feel like that's a baseline. I feel like discovery and discovering that person is more important to having that project really develop into that highest potential. Um, And that's where I sort of live with my clients is in the world of discovery. So over my 20 years in the industry, I really seek to understand the client, how they communicate, what's important to them. And then I give counsel to my clients on how to best interface with them. So my favorite part is a really discerning, picky client, and they don't operate in the terms of um, creativity. They are clients like efficiency. They like us to know their idiosyncrasies. They like us to communicate in a certain fashion. And every client is different in that way and what they bring to the table. So where I sit in the world of creativity is in the world of discovery, which is this client would prefer to interact in this way, or we need to communicate in this way. And so it's always a learning that then informs my processes in which I fine tune. On this topic of learning, mm-hmm. uh, I've brought this up a couple of times, and here's a perfect example is <clears throat> if you heard of the trumpeter, jazz trumpeter Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. Well, when he was first started, he played with a, a big band, and I can't recall the name of the conductor, but he was just one of his first uh, programs, and the, the, uh, one of the uh, writers for a magazine had said, this new trumpeter you have here, uh, Miles Davis, you know, how is this, how is he? And uh, the uh, conductor had said, well, his learning isn't interfering with his performing. Obviously, we know he went on to a legendary career. What's your thought as well on learning not interfering with it performing? Um, I think if you're not learning, you're not growing, right? So one of the learnings that I had during remote learning with my children um, over the two years during the pandemic is... I learned how to train my team better. So I would get up every day and we would do the remote learning, which had this Excel spreadsheet. And as I was like watching and observing and listening, it informed how I trained my team. So I was trying to push them through a one week training process. And what I learned from observing the first grade and second grade teachers is that I needed to extend that to a four week training process and have reoccurring lessons. And so I think when you go through life, you can get lessons and learning opportunities that come come through to you in different modalities. And I think in terms of performing, I feel like anybody can perform and you just have to have your right audience. But learning is an internal endeavor that ends up making you a better person. Performing is getting a feedback loop or a dopamine loop from whomever you're in front of. But I feel like learning is purely for yourself. And that level of curiosity, it sounds obviously you definitely have that. But is it something, if you go back as far as you can recall, that you've always been curious about um, whatever it is that's of either of interest or you just don't know about? Is that accurate? Always. And they again, I'm so appreciative that 
society at large is recognizing it now because as a child, you you didn't have that container when you were growing through like the 80s and the 90s. You were put in like buckets. You were either smart or you, you know, you had like a definition and a role. And I think that as we've evolved as a society, we've torn that down and really made curiosity mainstream and learning mainstream. And the books that people write now for children are all about that curiosity and growth potential, growth mindset. But I've always, I've always had that. And I don't, my grandparents have always encouraged it. We just had, our life was built around learning and play. And you have to have both together. You have to play first before you can learn. This is the Modern Architect podcast. Our acknowledgement for uh, public service for today's show and Krista is, uh, first one is the classicist, the uh, ICAA. The ICAA is the Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, which is a nonprofit membership organization committed to promoting and preserving the practice, understanding, and appreciation of classical design. To do so, the ICAA offers a broad range of educational programs that include intensives for architecture and design students, introductory programs for middle school students, lectures, and walking tours for the public, continuing education courses for professionals and enthusiasts, as well as travel programs to visit the classical masterpieces and the publishing of original and reprinted books and an annual journal entitled The Classicist. For more information, their website is classicist.org. That's C-L-A-S-S. C-I-S-T dot org. And our other acknowledgement is for the Enterprise for Youth, founded in 1969. The Enterprise for Youth empowers under-resourced San Francisco youth to reach their potential through transformative paid internship experiences supported by a community of employers, caring adults, and peers. Again, their website is enterpriseforyouth.org. Our guest today is Krista Kupar founder and CEO of San Francisco's Kupar, the first design industry consultancy firm integrating studio and marketing services. For more information, feel free to visit their website at kuparconsulting.com. Again, that's C-O-U-P-A-R consulting.com. Chris, I know I asked earlier about uh, you know some of the projects that you've done, but what, in your experience, what uh, has changed um, or evolved for architects and builders over the, say, the last couple of years in your your experience? I think the biggest thing that's been impacting the um, industry at large has been supply chain, and that has been in terms of talent. I think that it's been really hard to acquire new talent to fill out the teams. So architects and builders have had a hard time with getting the technical designers and foremen onto the projects. And then I think the other thing that's really been impacting my clients is the supply chain. So having inflation go up, we've had freight go up, we've had gas prices go up, and then the cost of goods and materials and the timing to get it done due to the pandemic has really impacted projects. So I've seen them go for much longer than they would normally go for. In that supply chain, is that something in your experience has been somewhat unprecedented or if there's a, a reference to a, a similar time where this was a, a, a bit of a challenge as well? No, I think this is unique to this time. Um, 
when you're pulling in materials from overseas or other places, um, we've run into issues where certain boats are allowed to get in and certain boats have to stay out. And that comes down to politics and lobbyists and, and that geopolitical. So I've seen within my network of CEOs and people trying to get materials in is that they've had a really hard time with product and getting it in on time or things will fall off a boat. A sofa will end up at the bottom of of an ocean. (laughs) So the the long boat from overseas has really, you know, come to fruition during this time. I haven't seen it. I've been through two recessions. I was through the dot-com burst in 2001 and then I went through 2008 and those are both unique experiences, but nothing that impacted the labor force and um, the product like I've seen now. That's a, obviously it's unique in terms of a, performing as a the marketing service, the public relations for these firms. Mm-hmm. Has that altered your or changed your relationship with them as well? We try to be really proactive with the clients. So really being upfront with the fact that um, we will give them the best guesstimate of where their goods are going to be delivered. Uh, We try to create um, documents that give like, here's the best case scenario. Here's the middle case scenario. Here's the worst case scenario. And really being active in the communication ahead of time. So they don't feel that we're being inattentive. And I think, again, it goes back to managing those relationships where communication is just fundamental to how these projects run. Most people are incredibly understanding and they're reading all of the same periodicals that we are. So they are up to speed on it, but really being an advocate for them and letting them know where their product is landing. And I've had clients send out letters, letting them know that, um, due to unforeseen issues, the supply might be extended or the deadline might be extended. Um, But people have been flexible about their deadlines, especially like post-pandemic. What I've noticed from a client standpoint is people are more understanding where before I think that, you know, somebody had a party or somebody had a deadline in their mind. And I think the pandemic has really softened people in terms of how they interact with each other, which is, it's nice. It's exciting. I, I like this phrase called the triumph of the human spirit. Can you relate that to the triumph of the, obviously every business is human, a business or an organization and what that means to, to, to them and to you? Is, that, is there a formal process that you go through, that you initiate so that you can have that experience of a triumph of the outcome they're looking for for their business or their organization? Well, we always do at the close of every project, we do um, a formal case study that we present to um, all of our stakeholders and our team, which is really celebrating, especially during the pandemic when we weren't able to be at the installations in person. It's nice for the team to see what they created. So we do do case studies that celebrate all of the obstacles and barriers, what we had to overcome and what the finished product was. And we do those at our um, touch base meetings on Mondays and those are recorded so that any new hire can go and see the quality of work that we do. And that has been the biggest um, takeaway 
during the pandemic is really to celebrate um, that part of it. But um, the other core values with the triumph of the human spirit is I'm a huge believer in diversity. So our age range is in our company is 22 to 72. And I like that collaboration of different experiences. So I'm a big believer in not only diversity in terms of ethnicity and skin color, but diversity of thought. And I think that within any good collaboration, whether it be um, an interior or building a team, you need that diversity and like different points of view that create a really nice dynamic tension that brings out everybody's best work. Uh, I like working with um, minorities. I very intentionally chose interior design because I liked working with women and I liked working with gay men and they just made me feel really joyful. And so that was one of the ways that really celebrating minorities and that I think speaks to the triumph of the human spirit to be able to overcome adversity and um, create beauty. I like that. Create, love that. Create, create beauty. What would you like to share Krista that we may not have touched on uh, during your show today? That's an interesting question. Um, I think one of the things that I really enjoy doing with my clients is creating something from start to finish. I like building things that are concrete. I think that's one of the reasons I didn't go into technology is that working with a team and building a house that exists is incredible. And it's such a creative cathartic experience. And then having my marketing site, take it into publication and create content around it. Um, being able to do it from start to finish and seeing people land on covers of magazines is incredibly fulfilling for me. And we have a great marketing team and our placement rate with our clients is pretty close to 95% that they're placed either in um, print magazines or somewhere online. And that speaks to my team. That's not, it's something that I built a team, but they, they're the ones that really, um, bring that vision to life. So I'm incredibly proud of the work that they do. It's pretty incredible. Krista, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you as our guest today. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I hope you would consider coming back again. I'd love to have you if you're, uh, if you're interested, Krista. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Krista Kupar, founder and CEO of San Francisco's Kupar, the first design industry consultancy firm integrating studio and marketing services. Headquartered in the San Francisco Design Center, Krista has built a multifaceted consultancy that coaches, counsels, and empowers elite designers, architects, builders, artisans, and showrooms. They've offered innovative solutions for business operations, project management, and marketing communication to the design community. For more information, feel free to visit their website at kuparconsulting.com. That's C-O-U-P-A-R consulting.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is made possible by Swatchbox, 
the leading sample platform for architects and designers. Swatchbox brings thousands of product samples from the world's leading manufacturers into one platform. Browse materials for inspiration, create custom collections, then request your samples for free with automatic next day or second day shipping. Get started at Swatchbox.com.